Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello and welcome to No More Mondays. I'm your host, Angie Callen. And I was doing a little research the other day about satisfaction in the workplace and came across a really interesting statistic. Over half of employees report being disengaged at work. No wonder we're driving this No More Mondays movement, right? Today, we're going to dig into that topic just a little bit more as we welcome Craig Knight, a psychologist, researcher, and consultant to the show. He's been working in this subject of workplace satisfaction and the psychology of office spaces for years, and I think he's going to have a little bit of wisdom for us on how we can improve organizational well-being and productivity because he was doing this way before No More Mondays came along. Here to teach us a thing or two about improving performance in the workplace, let's welcome Craig Knight. Craig, welcome to No More Mondays. Hello, Angie. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. I also forgot to tell all of you that we're continuing the international theme, so we've got another lovely, soothing British accent to listen to today. (laughs) Uh, I feel like, Craig, you would be an excellent narrator of audiobooks. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you, Angie. Yeah, that's a a compliment. So thank you for joining us from across the pond. I want you, in your own words, to tell everybody out there a little bit more about you and and the work that you're doing in the world of social psychology. So take it away. Tell us about you. Okay, well, look, I'm just a, a... Standard crusty old psychologist. I've been doing psychology now or for more years than I care to think about. But I think for our conversation today, what I've been doing for the past 20 years is investigating the effect of management, leadership, and design on how people live and work in terms of well-being, engagement, and performance. So I think that's the drive of today's conversation. Absolutely. Uh, do you, I, I just imagine this because I, lo- I love your humor. It's so dry. I feel like your business card says crusty old psychologist is your title, <laughs> but it's, I mean, I feel like it's really interesting to have done this work for 20 years because so much has changed in the workplace. And I'm curious, and we're going to talk a lot about like trends and themes and things you think are coming, but I'm curious of you know, in the big picture of your career over the last 20 years, hmm. what have you seen as the workplace has evolved? Well, it's interesting you say that lots of things have changed um, because not nearly as much as people think has changed. What, what I would urge people to do if they get a moment is maybe type into Google Sears Offices Chicago 1906 and see how remarkably similar those offices are to offices from, 19, from 2019. Um it's ridiculous how close they are. We have open plan offices. We have people working, monitored by people walking around them. We have management walking about. We have people working to systems that still are extant or were extant in 2019. And we, at last, I think, have a chance to get away from systems that have been reinvented for over 100 years, um, in fact, over 200 years in some cases, and do something really new, exciting, and worthwhile for people thanks to the pandemic. This is really a very timely conversation because at the time and place that we're recording this, I have just returned from 
a conference, the first real live human conference I've gone to in like three years. I forgot how extroverted I was and how much my soul needed to go work a room. But it was uh, it was the Professional Association of Resume Writers and Career Coaches Conference. And uh, we had a hiring manager panel come in and chat with us. And it was really interesting to hear what they're doing um, and where they're at with this whole kind of shift mm. in in the work environment. And it's like it's like there's it's funny. I, I, I'm interested to hear your take on this, because I think there's some irony there in the fact that we did we made the shift. We made the shift overnight and, and managed it for two years. Mm. And now all the corporations are trying to figure out how to have a nice work environment. And I'm sitting here going, we just did it for two years and people yeah. managed. So I'm curious to hear your take on that and how all of this might be shaking reality a little bit and we might be moving into a new phase. Well, yes, I think that's a really interesting supposition. Um, the, the research that we've done shows, I guess, two different levels, or at least two different levels. And the first level to make things better is just to make a space psychologically engaging. Uh, people talk about putting artworks about. There's a big thing that you may have heard of in the workplace at the moment. I think it's being led from the States, which is biophilia, imitating nature in design. That's seen as a, as a really big deal. And, well, yes, it is. But then the most biophilic space you'll ever come across is a zoo. And nobody <laughs> thinks that, put, that putting animals in a zoo is a really great thing to do. But it's certainly better than putting animals or human beings in a really stark, lean, minimalist space. So, so making a space more engaging and more exciting is certainly one thing to make a space better when people work. But the best thing that anybody can do is let people develop their own space. And that's why some people are really attracted to the idea of working from home as much as possible, because, of course, home is their own space. And this new model, which is being called at the moment hybrid working, where people sometimes work at the office, sometimes work at home, even sometimes work in the coffee shop, is starting to excite an awful lot of folk. And you know, it, it's something that we're investigating a little bit more. We've been following people through the pandemic to see what works, what doesn't, and what are the best things that people can do and managers can do to make lives better. And I'm curious because you, I mean, science comes into here for you when you do these research and these studies, and you actually hmm. have some some numbers and stats to throw at this. So yeah. I'm curious what kind of like productivity numbers you've seen and as you've observed that kind of hybrid model or the digital nomad kind of situations yeah. where we where on the employee side get to kind of take ownership of the way we work. What kind of outcomes and, and changes have you seen from that statistically speaking? Well, really significant ones seems to the question, not just in terms of productivity. What we've done is we've taken the sort of lean minimalist space, if you like, as our, our control right throughout all the work we've been doing. So that's our starting point. We've tried to see what we can do to improve things from there. And we found that if you en enrich the space, if you, you know, the biophilic stuff, the artwork space, whatever it is, then you improve productivity by about 15%. But you also improve things like well-being and engagement by even more than that, by sort of 35 40%. When you stretch that and you then let people develop their own space, they let them work where they're happiest, then productivity goes up even further by up to 32% compared to the stark lean conditions, and well-being and engagement can go up by 50%. And what's really interesting as well, and here's something for both employers and people, is it seems that we can also increase effective intelligence. So people will be effectively cleverer in space B than they were in space A, if you get it right. Oh, so, so essentially when we shake up our environment, that's where innovation 
and creativity come yeah. from. So your next great idea could come because you let your employee work from home with a plant next to them. <laughs> it could be. It could be. And, and right? that's, that, that, you raise a brilliant point there. People talk about you must have a plant next to you, you must have a picture next to you. No, 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 not at all. That really isn't necessary. What is necessary is that you have a space that recognizes what you are. So you, Angie, should have a space that rec- you can turn around and say, this is a little bit of Angie. Or I could have a space, a little bit of Craig. And what that is, it could be artwork. It could be souvenirs from your holiday. It could be nothing at all. Maybe you like a really minimalist space. In that case, that's absolutely fine. Nobody should force a plant onto anybody. It's just that generally (laughs) an enriched space works a lot better than a star one. However, there is a return on investment for those plants in the office and the people that you pay to water them, folks. I'm literally sitting here staring at this aloe plant that I'm pretty sure I've forgotten to water for the last two weeks because I do not have a green thumb. But this is really fascinating because I think what we need to think about, especially for managers, business owners, and leaders who are out there who might be listening, is all of those statistics that Craig threw out, they turn into money. If your employees are 32% more productive, that has an effect on your bottom line. It absolutely does. Of course it does. Yes. And you can, you can, when we set out to do this, when we started this research, well, back in 2003, when we started it now, we knew that it's no good being soft, woolly psychologists and saying you mustn't do that. It's naughty because people wouldn't really listen. What we wanted to do was attach what management does, what leadership does and bottom line impact. So we wanted, if you like, to develop management levers that management can pull and affect that directly affect things like well-being and health and engagement and performance. All of those things are really important. And we can now track those causally back to what managers and leaders need to do. So you actually segued me perfectly into one of the things I wanted to ask you, and that is how did you get into this work? I'm really curious. This had to that the interest and inspiration had to come from somewhere. So what drew you into (laughs) social psychology and specifically in the workplace? Yeah, well, before Noah was born, I used to work in um, in office design and office management a long, long, long time ago. (laughs) And I was very, very curious about how people at different levels would do different things. Particularly, I was curious that when small companies start off, let's say that you've got four people in an office, those four people will decide where they want to sit, what color the carpets want to be, you know, what sort of work processes, what hours they should follow. But then as the company grows and the company gets to about 20 people, then you tend to find that somebody suddenly knows better than everybody else. And that's when things get psychologically interesting and often a little bit disastrous for the organization's concerned. And at that sort of till point, the psychologist in me started getting very interested. And I wanted to know why people do that, why suddenly somebody takes charge and then other people become fairly submissive to that and things start to go a little bit wrong. So it's it's purely um, an amoral psychological interest to kick this off. That's what I've been doing for quite a while now. Well, and I'm curious, that's really interesting about the, like as a company scales, the the decision-making gets further and further and further away from the people who are actually working in it every day. Generally, yeah. I mean, not, 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 not everywhere. I mean, there are some companies, and let's, let's mention some by name. There's a company I really like, Gore-Tex. And Gore-Tex, for example, look on money as a form of applause, which is brilliant because they see the people as by far the most important part of the business. You know, say so look after the people, the people perform and money comes in. So it's, it's, not, it's not a ubiquitous thing, but it's certainly a general thing that as companies grow, there's definitely a power gradient. And the further down that power gradient you are, the less say you have of what goes on in your own workspace. 
I've always heard that Gore-Tex is a great company and you just made me feel better about how much of it I own because I live in the mountains and have a whole lot of Gore-Tex out there. <laughs> good, uh, good. But, and I, and I think that the shakeup that we've seen over the last two years is going to, is going to have more companies, uh, hopefully that's what we hope is taking that view and starting to evolve a little bit. And, yeah. and you're putting out numbers to kind of prove what it'll do, which is super cool. One of the things that we like to talk about here on No More Mondays is kind of like different challenges that people overcome. And in, in this situation, I'm going to I'm going to take advantage of your experience a little bit. And what are some of the most common challenges that you're seeing in the workplace when these companies are trying to make these shifts or are trying to you know engage employees? What are some of those trends that you're mm. seeing and the obstacles? Okay, I have to be very, very careful here not to mention names. Um, one of the greatest obstacles we find is inertia. And I'll give you an example from a company that almost everybody will have heard of. It's one of the largest consulting companies in the world. And we went in and we did a, a, some work with them, which got scientifically published. And to cut a very long story short, our methods increased productivity just on one floor of their establishment, one floor, by 15%, which is bang in line with what we've been doing in terms of enriching a space which in terms of um, increased revenue to that organization would have brought in $1.5 to $7 million extra a year for an investment of £10,000. Okay? Now, that investment... For, for um, changes on one floor in one building of one this... Floor. One floor in one building of, 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 of an organization that owns many skyscrapers across the world, yes. Exactly. Now, that company uh, said, well, what we did is we, we put plants in, we enriched the workspace, and just enriching the space with plants increased priority by 15%. Now, that organization is wedded to a system called Six Sigma, and Six Sigma and Lean are all about having minimalist type of space, cutting down on error, cutting down on waste, all of these kinds of things. And that was our starting point to enrich. So what that company should have done is said, well, look, we can make ourselves and our clients much wealthier. We can make our staff much happier. Here we go. Very good. But they didn't. Once we left, what happened is they, they, they lost us a go and they sent all of our plants that we sent him away and they went back to their Lean and Six Sigma stuff because that is what the company thrives on in terms of its business. So that company, with published scientific evidence, said we're not going to do that. We're going to do the stuff that doesn't work and charge people up to $25,000 a day for it because we can't afford to do otherwise. So the problem that we have in the in the working world right now is that companies are working at practices that they've been doing for years and are reluctant to change because of commercial ties. And that's a really big issue for us. It's almost as if we need to treat our internal stakeholders in exactly the same manner that we treat our external stakeholders, but those aren't necessarily the same audiences. Hmm. And just because you take a lean approach with the customers and the clients that you consult doesn't mean that that's going to translate well into, into your the people who are providing those services inside your organization. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, again, what, what we found through the work that we've done is, and this is anything but rocket science, the most important part of any business are its people. And too often, companies will put process before people and expect people to conform to process instead of the other way around. And when, people, when companies do put their own people first, the results can be spectacular. Now, we've mentioned some of the figures. And not only are our people are happier, more engaged, more productive, when you have those things, they're also far easier to manage. 
and you get it's a completely virtuous circle and we're just now trying to promote this as hard as we can because now post pandemic we have this huge opportunity to make an immense difference to people's lives and we're very keen to do that you know we developed a new survey tool we're pushing this hard very very hard at the moment so let's talk a little bit about how we can mm-hmm. actually start to make change and you you brought up earlier the idea of of their stuff that the employees can do, their stuff that leaders and the you know the the corporate executives making top line decisions can yeah. do. So I would love some practical advice. So maybe like top three recommendations on what we as employees and or we as leaders can do to really em- embrace the fact that we have an opportunity to change, make systemic change right now. All right, oh, that's that's. That's that's a thing to do. Three is quite a good number, as it happens. What makes the perfect job, and this is pretty much universal, are three things. And organizations need to provide these three things, one of which is autonomy. Don't let people get on with the job themselves. The next one is resource. So let people have sufficient resource to do the tool, to, to do the job as required, you know, give them the right tools to do the job. And tools can be time and people as well as something physical. And the third one is trust. Trust them to get on with it. And if you remember the acronym ART for autonomy, resource, and trust, and make sure those three things are extant in, in as many jobs as you have, then you will have a far better organization as a result. And this very much aligns with trends and things I see clients on the job seeker side saying. So micro, uh, I'm micromanaged is the opposite of autonomy. So there is no yeah. M in art, right? And, yeah. and um, you know, wanting to, even if you're not like the total leader who is literally completely independent, but feeling like you have ownership and a say in what's going on, I feel like is very important, especially as we get younger and younger uh, generations in the workforce and they really want right. to feel that heard piece. Indeed. So that's totally that's totally something I hear. And the and then how often do you hear, for instance, the what I think of when with the R and the resourcing is educators. I don't know if you if you over in England and the UK are seeing this same transition, but in the US we have a huge exodus of teachers leaving traditional education. And I think one of the number one reasons and number one things they say is I have no resources to do my job. Absolutely right. Yes, quite right. I mean, resources wherever you are are a fairly essential thing. If you you don't have the the kit, you can't do the job. And I just stress again that resource isn't just physical tools. Teachers are a classic case, of course, but one of their primary resources is time. And they... the cry is so much so often that we don't have the time to do the job as well as we'd like to. That's a very good point. Don't think about it just as being like physical or monetary resources, but are you overworking your staff to the point that they are, you know, their productivity starts to go down and that well-being starts to go down. And Mm. then the trust piece I think is really interesting because I think this comes into that culture component. And one of the things that we hear from people on No More Mondays a lot is that is that idea of being value aligned with the company that you're working with. And yeah. I think if you can find somebody that gives you autonomy and resources and has trust, then you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. And I also think what comes into play there is this idea that it, it, more people leave a job because of their manager than they do because of the company or their work they're doing. Mm. And I would argue that a lot of that it comes down and is rooted in a lack of trust because they don't feel their manager has their best interest or cares about them as a human. 
Yes. You're bang on. You're absolutely right. They reckon, certainly in the UK, I'm entirely sure of the US figures, that 70% of people leave their jobs not for money, but because there is some issue with management. And one of the best examples of trust or a lack of trust that I know is is what happens right at sort of the bottom, if you like, of the, the average hierarchy. If you think of maybe the time you phoned up to change your television subscription or talk to a bank or maybe get some insurance sorted out and heard the words, this call may be monitored for training purposes, <laughs> why on earth do we do that? What is the point? When was the last time you phoned a lawyer, an accountant, a bank manager or people that make really expensive mistakes and heard that this call may be monitored for training purposes? It is the... The absolute apotheosis of a lack of trust, the fact that somebody gets their call monitored when they don't know what's going on. It's based on, if everyone wants to look it up, a prison by a philosopher called Jeremy Bentham called the Panopticon. And in the Panopticon, prisoners were never aware of whether they were being monitored or not. And we've just extended that to telephone systems. So we're, we're installing a prison system to monitor what people do on phone calls at the bottom of the hierarchy, never at the top, which is just so emblematic of a lack of trust. Bingo. I don't even have a response to that, but you don't, you shouldn't need a hall monitor to be able to do your job effectively. (laughs) (laughs) So we, I'm going to get a couple other little pearls of wisdom out of you because one of the things that we like to do here on No More Mondays is give our guests as much advice as possible and pull as many things out of brains like yours as we can. So uh, we're going to play a little game called Rapid Fire Recommendations. And don't worry, it's never very rapid, Craig. Okay. Very much a very old brain. There's nothing very rapidly. I'll do the best I can. (laughs) What was the title on your card? Crusty Old Psychologist? (laughs) All right. Yeah, that's that's the strap line underneath. Crusty and slow, basically. But do go ahead. Let's see what we can do. Uh, All right. What is your most memorable travel destination? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Bradford. Um, there's, a, there's a really, um, should we say, unfortunate-looking city in the north of England, which is called Bradford. And I moved there when I was 11. It was, caused me great shock and horror. It was dreadful. And I, can, I will never forget the sight of the place when I first moved into it. But I now love that city. It's a fantastic place, and I like going back to it as often as I can. You know what we've realized about the answers to that question? Rarely are they... Fiji because it's that place everybody wants to go. It's usually something tied to a more like emotional memory. Yeah. So yeah, see, there's these aren't. This is not a very hard test. Uh, give us a great book recommendation. Ah, it depends what you want. Do you want do you want a fiction or do you want a, an improving book? Which would you like? Well, I'm a big fan of B, but we could also cheat and get both. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll give you, a, um, especially now at the time of what's going on with the horrible war in the Ukraine, I can recommend a, a book of fiction uh, by Bulgarov called The Master and Margarita, which is a story about the devil coming to town in Moscow. And it is an allegory of the Soviet Union. And it sounds dry and dusty, but it isn't. It is superb. It is really good. And if you would like a, a recommendation for a book for business, then there's a book by a guy called Alexander Haslam called Psychology in Organizations. And it is the best book of its type you could wish to buy. It can be very heavy going, but it's worth every full stop. Awesome. All right, that's going to go in the Amazon cart. And then uh, give us a movie. What's your favorite movie? 
Casablanca. Don't even think about that. There you go. I love it. I see think I quite get to the end. I sort of cry so much. It's utterly pathetic to see some dissolve over a sofa. But there you go. I love Casablanca. There's a 25-year-old out there listening going, I don't know that movie. Well, if you don't know it, watch it. I remember the first time I watched it, I was watching it with a friend, and she was hideously jealous I was about to watch it for the first time. Haven't seen Casablanca, Box of Tissues, Lars Box of Chocolates, and I promise you, you'll love it. Now we're going to get back into kind of some of the tools of your trade. Give us what is like in a real small nutshell, a really good productivity productivity tool. I want to use the word hack, but I hate the word hack. So I'm trying not to use it, but like a, a quick little thing that can up your productivity, like you could do to make your day more productive. That you can do for yourself, regardless of what's happening to you, you mean? Exactly. Okay. Um, add meaning to what you're doing. That, that's that's the one thing I'd I recommend. Um, if you have, it's easy, for example, if you have a job where you can look out of the window and go for walks when you like, but not everybody is so blessed. So it's always good to have something with you that reminds you of something important. So that even if you're getting abuse from a manager, you can take out a photograph, I don't know, of your daughter or your partner or your pet or, or the foreign holiday you want to have. Just something tangible you can look at to remind you what's going on. It can act as both something to soothe you and something to inspire you. I love it. And if you can tie that to the why of what you're doing, now it's even stronger. And the bad days are a lot easier to get through. Indeed. See, rapid fire recommendations. It's not too, too hard. But we do have one more. Mm-hmm. And that is, this is a show about Mondays. So what's oh, yes. the first word that comes to mind when I say Monday? <laughs> I, um, I'm dreadful with earworms. Um, I'll, I'll probably think of a song. So it'll be something like the Boomtown Rats and I Don't Like Mondays or Step On by the Happy Mondays or I don't know, or I don't, what's, that, what's that, the Mamas and the Papas, Monday, Monday. So, oh, so yeah. it'll, it'll, be an, it'll be an earworm that comes to mind, I think, in Monday. I quite like Mondays. I, I, I tend to sort of plod all through the week. So Monday's just another day and sometimes it can be great. It, it can be great. That's for sure. It's all in how you look at it. Craig, I love this. I could chat with you all day long and let me know when you narrate your first audiobook because I'll tune in. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to ask one more question and get yet one more little nugget out of you before we kind of go. But as we wrap things up, I would like to know how people can, how can people find you and tune into the work you're doing? So if they want to pull these stats and stuff that you're putting out, how do they find them? Uh, the best way, the probably easiest way is on LinkedIn. So that's the finest way. Find me on LinkedIn, just Craig Knight. I have a website, identityrealization.com. That's realization with a Z, identityrealization.com. Or if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's at the British Psych, P-S-Y-C-H, at the British Psych. Any of those will work. You know, for a crusty old psychologist, you've got some good handles. <laughs> I get lots of help. That's what it is. Yeah. No, this has been fantastic. And I feel like everything we've talked about is very applicable to whether you're in the workplace or whether you're creating the workplace. And so there's lots of cool stuff here that um, even I'm excited to go back and listen to and think about how I can pull this into what I'm doing is we help people find satisfaction. And I'm wondering, I would love one last piece of advice from you. What is one thing our listeners can do to get closer to career satisfaction? Oh, one thing. I would say find somebody or something rewarding to love because the most important thing anybody will ever do is love. And if you have some love that is rewarding that you carry with you, you will never be short of either inspiration, something to work for, or something to think about. 
It's very true. Uh, thank you so much for being part of our show, Craig, and joining the No More Mondays movement. As always, we love hearing from people who have not only navigated career success themselves, but are right at the center of trying to help others do the same by creating these better work environments and helping other people find paths to success. There is some amazing advice here. So I hope you all took some notes and I hope you will track down Craig and follow his research and pull up those statistics because there is some ammo there if you are trying to pitch some workplace improvements to those who hold the purse strings. So check out the show notes at nomoremondays.info if you would like to track down Craig and everything he has to offer. Craig, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Good pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. You are so welcome. And for all of you out there who are listening, I would love, love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating because we are awesome, clearly, and because it is a huge help as we continue to inspire confident professionals everywhere with these awesome stories and awesome resources. If you'd like to leave us comments, feedback, guest suggestions, or grab the show notes from this episode, head on over to nomoremondays.info. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget, visit us online at nomoremondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com.